Praise the Lord, everybody. As you all well know, Pastor Joel is out today, and he uh, asked me to kind of hold down the fort for him until he gets back. Praise the Lord. Um, just want to thank everybody for coming out on this Sunday with this bad weather, this looming weather. Um, and I'm not going to wear your patience. I'm going to get right into the word. Uh, we're continuing with our Samuel series. Praise the Lord. And we are now in chapter 16, the appearance of David. So let's start with um, our first Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1. And I like what Darnell said last week where he says, I'm, I'm using a different version. So whatever version you're using, just, just follow along. I like King James Version, so. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. So even though that back in um, verse 15, I believe it was, where um, Saul grabbed um, Samuel and tore his clothes, and he said, just as you tore my clothes, so was Israel going to be torn from you. Amen. And God was no longer with Saul. Saul would no longer be king of Israel. So Saul, what happened to Saul? Saul, we read about that Saul was anointed. God gave him a new heart, a new mind, made him a new man. But there's only so much you can do with someone who doesn't have the heart, doesn't have the mind to follow what God wants him to do. The word gives reference to a horse that you can put a bit in a horse's mouth and steer this horse with very little pressure on which way you want him to go. As Darnell knows, power is measured by a horse. You got a car with how many horsepower? 400 horsepower, 500 horsepower. This animal is huge, strength, gallant. And God can take those ring, those reins and steer you in the direction you want to go, as long as you have that heart, which Saul just didn't have. And we keep reading about Saul, and we're going to continue to read about Saul in the further chapters on how he just, just couldn't get it right, kept disobeying God, kept going this other direction when God wanted him over here. God wanted him to kill. Yes. All the Amalekites. Yes. But he couldn't do it. He fell back on what the people wanted. Right. And what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Because he used, um, wasn't it, Agag as a trophy. Yeah. I want all the other kings to see what I did. Right. I'm going to sit Agag up here. He's my prisoner. Uh-huh. I'm using him as a trophy. Here's what I've done. I conquered the Amalekites. And that's what, Saul, that's what was on Saul's mind. And God knew his heart. 
So Saul became arrogant, proud, disobedient, stubborn, people pleaser, hard-hearted, rebellious. He just couldn't. He just couldn't get it right. He could not be the man that God wanted him to be. Even though God knew that's what he was. Uh -huh. Remember, he told Samuel, you have not, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Amen. And they told, and he, they knew what, God knew what Saul was. Right. And later God repented of giving Saul to Israel. Amen. So, Samuel, you know, if you ever have somebody in your family who's lost, who just just can't get it right, or a good friend that just can't get on the right path, co-worker, whoever it may be. But love, the love that you have just continues to fall on your knees and pray and, and ask God, please save them. God, please direct them. God, please wake them up. Allow them to see you, God. And it just doesn't seem to help. And with Saul, it just didn't help. Saul had, um, God had already said, Samuel, Saul is done. I'm finished with them. But Samuel just couldn't let it go. He just kept on mourning and, and praying and fasting and doing everything he could to pull Saul back into the good graces of God. But God told Samuel a couple of chapters earlier that I have a man He's after my own heart. That's what he said. Praise the Lord. And he's going to do everything I want him to do. I'm going to be able to pull those reins. And I'm going to be able to steer him. I didn't say he was perfect. I said he was a man after God's own heart. Because I, I, when I was reading Samuel, or going through Samuel, I'm like, why David? David was a big sinner. David did, David did some wicked stuff. I mean, murderer. Uh, on and on and on and on. And I'm like, God, why, why David? So we're going to find out why David. Um, so Samuel took his horn, filled it with oil. The spirit and strength of God. What the, what the oil stood for, symbolized. And he says, go and anoint the man I'm going to show you. And he goes to Jesse's house, the Bethlehemite. Bethlehem. Everybody knows the significance of Bethlehem? Okay. <laughs> and, um, and then Samuel's like, well, how can I go? Because Saul might hear that I'm going to anoint a new king and he's king. So for the first time, reading about Samuel, does he show fear? Ah, now, reading the, reading the word and how God reacts to his men of God showing fear, God never showed favoritism or, or, or he's like, get up. What are you doing in here? Take my word. Tell the people, don't look at their faces. Do my will. Do my word and go do what I, what I told you to do. But in this case, God's like, yes, he will kill you. Isn't that what he said? <laughs> uh, because 
God gives Samuel instruction on how to hide from Saul. And that's the first time I read in the word where God says, you are right. Saul is going to kill you. This is what Saul has become. Saul has an entourage of men, up to 3,000 men around him at, at, at a time. Sometimes 1,000, sometimes 600, but up to 3,000 men have been appointed to cover him, uh-huh. to guard him, right. to instruct him. Right. You couldn't just walk up to Saul. Remember when Saul was anointed, he went back to the fields. Saul was humble. When they, when, they, um, when they got attacked by, uh, who was it, um, I'm forgetting now, Nahash, um, I forget, but when Israel was going to be attacked, he'd be threatened, they had to go and search for Saul. They had to find him among the stuff, hiding, because he still had that, he had a little bit of fear, he had still had a little bit of humbleness to him. But when he found out that I can tax the people, I can build houses, I can have whatever I want because I'm the king, Bye. it went to his head. So here we are, Samuel. He goes down to, to um, Bethlehem to see Jesse. And verse 3 says, and um, this is still God giving instruction, and call Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto him, unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? Now we know down through the history are prophets. Mm-hmm. You got Samuel, Nathan, um, Joel, so on and so forth. Um, Isaiah. We know what these men are capable of. Elijah, Elisha. We know what they do when they go to execute, execute God's word. Yes. They will cut down prophets. Yes. They will do whatever God instructs them to do. Right. So it wasn't just Samuel because he just killed Agag, Agag a little while ago. It wasn't because he cut him in pieces. Is that just the history of the prophets. They heard that a prophet was coming. Are you come here for war? Or peace. What did we do? Is everything all right? Is my household in order? And, and, and on, so everyone feared. They, they heard Samuel's coming. He just doesn't come for, for any reason. So here comes, here comes Samuel. He's coming to the Bethlehem. And they tremble at his coming. So... What God told him to do was, well, just go there and just set up a sacrifice. It's not a sin offering. It's going to be a, I wrote it down here somewhere, it's a, um, it's a peace, fellowship, or a consecration offering. Those three offerings, the prophet can kill the animal, sacrifice a portion of it, and the rest goes for the dinner, the party, for the anointing. So that's the kind of um, that's the kind of um, sacrifice that, that Samuel is going down to Bethlehem for. So he says in verse 
5, and he said peaceably, I come in peace. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice was for the whole village. It was for everybody. But he sanctified Jesse's family to move them off into a private area so they could sit and eat, talk, and so Samuel could do his, his uh, anointing. It wasn't for everybody. This was done a little bit more in private. But he said to sanctify yourselves, go wash, put on some clean clothes, sanctify yourself. But he sanctified Jesse and his family, set them aside so he could do God's work. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on, did I skip a verse? No, I didn't know. Uh, verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse called Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made his seven sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen any of these. All your sons. Because Eliab come walking through there. And just as, just as Saul, Saul was big, strong, taller than anybody in Israel. He looked like a king. He looks like he should be in charge. He looked like a warrior. He looked like he had a heart after God. But not so. Eliab comes before Samuel. Samuel, to me, should have learned his lesson by now. The outward appearance isn't working. So, but Eliab come walking in, and immediately Samuel is taken by his look. He's, and, and to me that was one of Samuel's weaknesses, was his eye. As much spirit as Samuel had, he couldn't discern that this man wasn't, wasn't the one. Because Eliab is going to prove what he really is in the later chapter. Yes. All of them are going to prove what they really are. Saul's going to prove what he really is in the later chapters. And so will David. Uh-huh. So none of his sons was it. I don't wrote all these notes. I'm not looking at my notes. <laughs> um, so none of these sons were chosen. None of them cut the bill. So he says in verse 10, again, Jesse made his seven sons pass. So he does it twice. He does it twice. He made his sons pass in front of him again, the second time. 
still, they're not the ones. So I don't know, thank you. I don't know if um, Sam is using that, uh, what's called Uman and Thurman. You know, they reach, he reaches into his, his um, bag. They had two smooth rocks that were the same size. You couldn't discern which, which was which. And they would pull it out. And if it was one, it meant yes. If it was the other, it says no. So I wonder if that's what Samuel's doing. Leaving it up to God saying, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, let's do it again. Another time. 14 times. It comes out, no, 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 no. So I know God instructed me to come here, Samuel thinking. And he says, is there anybody else? Um, and verse 11, and Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. Didn't say what his name was. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So the sheep pastures weren't in your backyard. The sheep pasture could, be, could have been miles away. Amen. But Samuel says, we're not going to sit until you bring him here. Amen. His father doesn't even mention his name. Amen. Why? And that always bothered me about reading this story about, about David. Is he loved the Lord. He tended the sheep, which Jesse's family wasn't a poor family. This position was for a servant. There were very few families that used their children to tend the sheep. There was no way David, a son, should have been sitting out in a pasture tending sheep when he's a son. It should have been a servant's job. So, sorry, excuse me. So it, it should be a servant's job to do that. So, you know, reading the, reading the word, reading the word, reading the word, and I couldn't find why. Why is David such an outcast? So I went out, went to a couple of books. Some of the some of the Bible scholars and everything says that David's mother, who was a godly woman. Um, Psalms 18 and 16 um, says, um, Oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. This is David. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. He's talking about his, his mother, who was a servant of God. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to put together where David got his heart from. His father doesn't seem to be a godly man, seemed to be a godly man, even though because of David, Jesse's name is mentioned in the word a lot. So David's mother, there were two stories. And the, the one story I kind of I, I kind of um, gravitated to was it was kind of like a um, Rachel and Leah situation. Um, Jesse had seven sons. And 
You know, his, his lineage is from Ruth and Boaz. Ruth is a Moabite, and she gave birth to Obed, and then Obed's wife gave birth to Jesse. Because Jesse had a Moabite in his lineage, they said he always struggled, struggled over it. And after having seven sons with his wife, and there was another story that, well, I'm going to go into it, but <laughs> he decides that he no longer wants his wife. He had seven sons with her. He wanted to try to purify his lineage a little more. So he wanted this Canaanite woman who was a servant. He wanted this Canaanite woman, so he decides, I'm going to put my wife away, and I'm going to go get this Canaanite woman. Well, the Canaanite woman, who was a servant, kind of thought it was, was wrong. So she goes to David's mom and says, hey, um, this doesn't feel right. Um, when, he comes un- when he comes into me, it's going to be you. So, so it happens kind of like a Rachel and Leah situation. Um, Jesse comes into the room. It's his wife. He doesn't know. She ends up pregnant with her eighth son, David. And she doesn't let her father, her husband, know that he was the father. So Jesse's walking around thinking, my wife has cheated on me. And he puts her away. But he keeps the baby in the household. David, thinking that this isn't really, he might not be my son. He really might not be my son. So this question is in his head. So that's a story that's not biblical, but the story is just floating around and, and people are telling why David is in such a, um, in such a state, why this family is in such a state. Um, Psalm 69 and 8, this is David saying, I am a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. David even thinks that they might be like a half-brother, right? So he's an alien unto his own, unto his own um, brethren, unto his mother's children. Uh-huh. So there's some strife and struggles and, and, and problems going on within this household. David's sitting out with the sheep, not invited to the sacrifice, not even mentioned, not even thought about. And now they have to go get him. Everyone has to stand and wait for the, for the lowly sheep herder. And here he comes, verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. And with all of a beautiful countenance, which normally is, they use this kind of word for a woman, and goodly to look to, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. They say ruddy is is more of like a complexion word. Um, They said he was was ruddy, he was a a good looking, Uh he was a boy. He was in his early teens. He wasn't, he wasn't a man, just a boy, tending the sheep. 
And, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the man after my own heart. Wow. Now, have you ever um, underestimated somebody? Did you ever look at somebody and say, yeah, they're not right. Uh, they got a bad spirit. Uh, they're weak. They're strong. They're lost. Oh, they're good looking. They're this. They're that. Anybody ever play sports? When you walk out on the field, you walk out on the court, and you look around and you size everybody up, you make your determination who I can take, who I can't, who I can fake out, uh -huh. whatever it is. You make, you make your choices on, on the way somebody looks. Right. And that um, can be a detriment. You can underestimate somebody, and they could be something totally different. You can overestimate somebody, too. Yeah. I was working at Lockheed, and I walked into the room, our control room one day, and there's this guy sitting there, shaved head, had a tattoo on the side of his, his uh, head there. And at the time, you know, they, there was all this talk about skinheads and, and you know, so-and-so-and-so, skinheads. Skin, so I immediately thought, uh, skinhead, I'm, I'm staying away from him. You know, he's, he's prejudiced, he's this and he's that. And I, made, I made all these um, determinations in my mind of what this guy was. Um, and then weeks later, I had to sit down next to him. And he starts talking to me. He starts telling me a story how he's on his, like, 10th um, uh, for cancer. He's on his 10th uh, radiation treatment for cancer and, and how he's trying to beat it. And, then, and I'm sitting there thinking how stupid I am. What, I'm going to put this man as a skinhead. Here he is, cancer, trying to fight to keep his life. And I didn't. And to this day, I feel bad <laughs> that I did that. And I'm like, wow. I was like, the man's fighting for his life. And I'm sitting here calling him a skinhead. And I just keep saying, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. I didn't. <laughs> so it is a world of um, you can really underestimate somebody and really miss out on something on somebody good. Yes. That's right. um, and remember, God told Samuel, he says, you look on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. Yes. Could you imagine if we had that ability to look at somebody's heart and see what they really are? Man, you'd be saying thief, liar, cheat. You know, and you would, you would just be going down the street, down the line saying, but we never say what God might be able to do with this person. Because Saul had a hardened heart. Pharaoh had a hardened heart. And for God just to squeeze your heart a little bit, just get some emotion out of you, to get some, some humbleness out of you. Saul's heart cracked. It was so hard. But God wanted a heart that he could mold, that he could shape into what he wanted it to be. And, and I just kept looking, I kept looking at what, what kind of heart is that heart? And it just kept bringing me back to the, the fruits of the Spirit. And it, you know the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the things, the fruits of the spirit. And I'm not saying that's the kind of that's the heart of God. 
But I'm like, it has to be part of it. Those things that, that God looks for in a person. It has to be, you have to love. You have to have peace within yourself. You got to have some kind of self-control, some kind of faithfulness. Some kind of kindness. And in order to be a king, to be a leader, you're going to have to have them things. Even though it might come to a point where you need to fight, you're going to have to fight. But you might have to fight with a heart to know when enough is enough, to know when to stop, to know when to punish your child, and know when to stop, and know when it becomes abuse. You've got to have love. You've got to have a heart. So this is he. Verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon the first time his name's mentioned, David, from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. There was something in that scripture that, that, that jumped out at me. It says, so Samuel rose up. Did Samuel even get up when David came in? Did Samuel actually anoint David sitting down? I can't imagine he did, but when David walked in, this little skinny, little skinny boy, and Samuel is very visual, and he could just be thinking, is, is this really him? God, are you sure? Is you sure it's not Eliab? He looks like a king. He's strong. He's a warrior. He can fight. It's got to be him. God, are you sure? Are you sure this is David? Because he just got up and left. Now, when Saul was anointed, if y'all remember, what did Samuel do? If I have some here. What did Samuel do when Saul was anointed? He um, set Saul in the highest seat among the elders. He anointed him. He sat down and broke the word with them, explained the word. He kissed them. And Saul, after being anointed, went down and prophesied among the prophets, if you all remember. Now David's anointed, and Saul gets up and walks out. Big disparity, big difference between the two. I started looking at chapters ahead, looking, looking ahead, looking ahead and said, has Samuel ever said another word to David? Has he ever came back and said a word to David? I, I, I couldn't find it. Either maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I couldn't find a, anywhere where Samuel came back and said anything to, um, to, um, to David. He never saw Saul again either. But this is the man after God's own heart. A man that's going to lead Israel in due time. And Samuel never comes back. He never says anything. Nothing came easy for David. Everything was a fight. And to me, it's all based on what he looked like. Skinny. They said some say he ruddy meant red. He might have had red hair. 
He might have had like a, a reddish skin from sitting out in the sun all the time. But this is the man that took God's own heart. But when David was anointed, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and evil spirit from God troubled thee. Can an evil spirit come from God? I said no. <laughs> I said I believe he allows it. Um, actually, because um, Sister Kara read the scripture that I was going to use for that. James 1 and 17. <laughs> every good gift and every perfect gift, gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There was a there was a um, spirit, an evil spirit that came before, um, that came to God, and said, "Can I be a lion spirit in the mouth of your prophets?" And God said, "Yes, go ahead." So everybody looks at that that spirit came from God, but God just gave permission to step back. Saul became what he was. If God removes Himself from our lives and we become what we really are we definitely wouldn't be sitting here right now <laughs> every imagination of man would come upon you and woman people say I'm a good person I believe there's there, there's a God but um don't believe like that. Um, you know, there's a higher being. There's a higher power. But I still think they're acknowledging God. I still don't think that God has removed his hand from their life. Amen. People say, I'm doing fine without God. But God's really still there. He's really still in your life. When God removes himself from you, you're lost. You're capable of anything. You can shoot a person getting off a bus. Like happened last night. We're looking at the news this morning. Woman getting off a bus, guy sitting there shoots her. There was a woman years ago, drowned all her children. If God removes himself, we don't know what we'll become. But because of the grace of God, his mercy, his tender kindness, keeping his hands in our life, keeping you prayerful, keeping a good heart, talking to your heart, giving you instruction, giving you direction. Uh, I don't believe there were years, there was years that I thought that I turned my back on God. Like I had enough. I don't want any part of this anymore. Now this is a long time ago. So I'm like, time to party, time to see a little bit of the world. I was in I was in church all my life. I didn't know how to party. <laughs> What people called partying, I didn't really do. <laughs> but to me, 
Tamia was partying. <laughs> so, an evil spirit comes upon Saul, and he's without God. He's now getting headaches, depression. They say that Saul would have been in this day probably committed. That he needed he needed psych, uh, psychiatric help. But um, so the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Saul's servants saw a change. People around you see the change. Everybody can see the change, but you. And I have to, Pastor Joel's not here, so I have to take his place, Karen. So your friends say, you used to didn't do that. <laughs> you never did that before. What, what's going on? I never seen you get that angry before. I, I never seen you do this. I never seen you do that. Your friends see it, but you don't. You start doing things out of character. You start doing things that you never thought you would do. I mean, they're, you know, down, we, uh, we used to work down in Camden, go down to Camden Church and everything, and, and on Tuesday nights, you know, we're, you're working outside, and, and you know, we're, we're doing some pretty dirty stuff, and the, the people would, would come by and say, hey, hey, can I help you? I'll, I'll do it for $10. And he said, sure, come on. So they would work with us and help clean up, you know, all the, the stuff around the church, and um, they start telling us stories. I did this, and I didn't, like they're bragging. I did this, and I did that, and... You should know. I'm like, no, no, I shouldn't know. <laughs> We'd offer them prayer. We'd offer them this and that, you know. Um, and they never turned us down. And I still, I would, I would always tell them, you know, God still has his hand on you. It's not too late. You can still be saved. You can still be delivered. You just have to give in, give in to God. Get off the streets. Get off them drugs. So nothing's too hard for God. All you need is a touch. And drug, that drug will go away. That, 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 that whatever it is will go away. Yes. Just yield yourself. Yes. Which, you know, Saul couldn't do. David, you know, we know he, he wrote a lot, of the, a lot of the psalms. He didn't write all of them. But he wrote a majority of them. Um, David's like, created me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Um, as the heart panteth a deer after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Amen. He like sang to God. Yes. He told God what hurt him. Uh-huh. I still I need you. Right. I want you. Yes. I want you in my life. I need your touch. Yes. I need your guidance. I need your love, God. Continue to mold and shape my heart. Yes. Make me what you want me to be. Amen. Amen. God touching you will make you run to your giant. Uh-huh. Will already have defeat in your eyes. Uh-huh. There's no taking down. That job that I don't qualify for is mine. That enemy over there, I'm taking down. David didn't back up 
from anything. That was the heart that he had. He leaned on God. Remember, and I don't want to jump into the other the next the next chapters. But remember him on the battlefield. Remember what Saul did. Remember what his brothers did when Goliath stepped on the field. It said the battle was in array. They were on the field fighting, swords going, arrows flying. And when Goliath stepped on the field, Israel ran. All of them. They all ran. And now remember the little boy coming, and he was still a little boy. Uh He comes, his father sent him up to take food and cheese and wine to his brothers. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is coming up against the armies of the Lord? David prepared himself, took his stones, and ran out onto the field and took care of the army of God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that can stop you? Who is this person when you go in for an interview that can tell you no? There is nothing too hard for God. This uncircumcised Philistine is going to fall today. I'm going to take his own sword and cut his head off. And then I'm going to take the sword and hide it in my tent because I'm going to need it again. Everyone thinks that David only went to war with stones. He knocked out Goliath, but he killed him with his own weapon. Thank you, God. The heart of God will make you be brave when you're not will make you not think uh-huh. of danger. Yes. Run into a, build, a burning building to save somebody. Save your child. Save a stranger. Mm-hmm. Your heart really tells you who you are. That's right. That's right. And us as people, we look on the outward appearance. It's like walking up to a bowl of fruit and looking, looking around the fruit and picking out the, the best looking one and biting into it, and it's horrible. And there's a half a worm left. That's how we view people. People are beautiful. People are tall, short, skinny, heavy, whatever. Whatever we see, we make our determination. But it's not until we need that person in our time of need. When you need somebody to lean on, do we see them running down the street? Running from danger, leaving you behind. When you need somebody next to you, they can't be there. You, we don't know about that heart until it's too late. When we waste our time seeing somebody and talking to somebody and romancing somebody, and it's a waste of time because a person's heart is weak and far from God. And God warned Israel, you have rejected me, but I'm going to give you what you wanted. I'm going to give you this man. Uh But now, God says, but now I'm going to give Israel what I want. I'm not asking anybody. This is a man after my own heart. Uh He's going to do what I want. 
He's going to follow my word. He's going to seek my face. Even when he sins. He's going to throw himself in sackcloth and ashes. Fast. Pray. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. He's not going to waddle in his sin. Because Saul was never repentant. Saul said, let's go down and worship your God. He didn't say our God. He said, let's go and worship your God. Don't do this in front of all my people. Don't walk away from me, Samuel. He didn't say, don't walk away from me, God. He said, don't walk away from me, Samuel. Don't let me look like this in front of the people. Let me worship your God. But David is sitting out in a, in a field, playing his heart, asking God, worshiping God, being a worship leader. And that's what God's seeking, a pure heart. Yes. So here we are. Saul's now sick. He's plagued by some whatever it was. His spirit's bothering him. And his servants see the evil, the evil spirit upon him. Let our Lord now command thy servants, verse 16, which are before thee. Now, I was wondering if this, if this servant that's with Saul is, remember uh, Ziba, Z-I-B-A? Anybody remember him? Because he was a servant of Saul, of um, the next king, <laughs> whoever he is. Um, he, was a, he was a servant along, along the line with, with Saul, then David. Um, and David's son, Absalom, I believe. This servant was always there, Ziba. Ziba. And that's kind of wondering because he has um, some good advice. Not always, but in this case, he has some good advice. And, but remember that the, the spirit of the Lord is upon David. The spirit of the Lord is already working in David's behalf. The spirit has left Saul, is with David. And it's working to get David from the shepherd's field into the throne. So, and Saul, uh, let our Lord, verse 16, let our Lord um, command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have, I've already seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. He's talking about a teenage boy. Where was David a valiant man, a man of war and prudent in matters when he's only a shepherd? To me, this, this servant who's seen David, it almost was like he could see the heart of God in David. 
How did this man know that he was a man of war, that he was valiant, he was prudent in manners, he was a good-looking um, person, and the Lord is with him? He did look on the outward appearance. So he's a good-looking kid. But I didn't know, I don't know how he knew that David was a man of war, which later on we know we, he is. He's valiant, and he's a cunning player of the heart. Exactly what the doctor ordered. Amen. They're looking for a man that could play the harp. David, because um, being a shepherd, all the dangers come at nighttime. David wasn't at home sleeping in his bed. He was sleeping out in the fields. He's a shepherd. The wolves, the bears, the lions, they come on at night. They hunt at nighttime. So David wasn't at home. He's sleeping out, sleeping outside. He could only get rest during the daylight hours. But during the night, he's playing. He's comforting his sheep. He's keeping them calm. So all the sheep are laying down so he can see when something else is coming into the fold, into the flock. Amen. Wow. So David plays a harp. God is working in his behalf, making a way. So this must be the man. So Saul sent messages unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. Still with the sheep. He's been anointed. Still with the sheep. He got anointed. He didn't run and say, hey, I'm the next king of Israel. I'm not even sure Samuel told him that he's going to be the king of Israel. Nowhere in the word does it say David, his father, his brothers, knew what was in store for David. All they know was he got anointed by a prophet. And remember, Saul didn't know who the prophet was. Amen. And I was wondering if Jesse even knew who the prophet was. But they did say, you know, do you come in war or peace? So, so Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. Saul asked for his son. And Jesse sent him. Put some bread, some wine. Sent it off with David. And David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. An armor bearer. In those days was a position where you could not make a mistake. Amen. You were the right hand, in this case the king, or the warrior that you're the armor bearer for. Right. You watched his back, which means right. you didn't only watch, you fought. That's right. You stopped him, you stopped somebody from attacking him from behind. Right. You provided him with a weapon. If someone is running to you with a spear, you don't want to be standing with a sword in your hand. So David would have to learn how he needs a shield right now. He needs a spear right now. Or he needs a sword right now. He could not leave that man unguarded. 
He had to become his uh, second pair of eyes, second pair of hands. Someone's going to fight. Someone's going to have his back. That's what David became to Saul. Not just come there and play the harp, but to become an armor bearer. And that's why me and Sister Vanessa used to argue about this all the time, <laughs> about the size of David and what he really looked like. Um, was he big? Was he tall? Was he skinny? Was he short? Um, and I always said that he was, I didn't think he was skinny. I didn't think he was frail because um, like in the next chapter, it, um, well, the chapters um, ahead, it says that they put the armor of Saul on David. And it didn't say it was too heavy. It didn't say that he couldn't fit it. It just says, I, wasn't, I haven't tried. I've never wore all this stuff. I can't fight. I can't move with all this stuff on. No one trained me to use this stuff. So he threw it off. And it always makes me wonder, like, what is David really like? What, what, what is, what's his size? What, because his brothers were big. Eliab, you know, he, when he walked through there, everybody took notice. David was like a little, little runny kid. Um, they used to tell me that ruddy meant his stature. But anyway, well, ruddy, when I started reading, reading, reading for myself, so it says ruddy was for his um, complexion. Um, so he becomes Saul's armor bearer. Um, and Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. Saul already loves David. And it makes me wonder if Saul just recognized the Spirit of God on David, the same Spirit that he once had, used to have, but didn't use it, kind of threw it away. When God squeezed his heart, this, this is the heart that I gave you. And I, I was like, dude, trying to do this, I'm trying to find him. I was like, I kept asking, what happened to the heart that he gave Saul? He gave Saul an entirely new heart. So what did he do with it? Where is it? This is a brand new heart. God gave it to you. What did you do to the heart? of God. Saul had a heart of God and ruined it. Drug, drug it through the mud. <laughs> Made it hard again. Made it to somewhere where God couldn't squeeze his heart no more and, and, and use Saul. So it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it's, it's what Saul was. I always um, thought it was unfair as, you know, as a kid. Um, reading about um, Egypt and Pharaoh. And I just thought it was so unfair that God hardened Pharaoh's heart to deliver his people. I was like, what about salvation for the Pharaoh? What about the deliverance for Pharaoh? What, what, why couldn't God save him? Why couldn't God soften his heart and just let him let the people go? But Pharaoh considered himself a god. All the pharaohs were gods. He had a hardened heart already. There wasn't much God had to do to make Pharaoh change his mind, to make Pharaoh harden his heart. Pharaoh would say, I'm going to let him go. But then all of a sudden say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to listen. And just kept on hardening his heart. 
until all them plagues came upon Egypt. And he still, I'm not going to do it. He had that hard heart. And finally, he let him go. Just because of all, everything that, he, that God brought on, on, um, on Egypt. So, um, yeah, so Saul sent to Jesse, let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, verse 23, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David had an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the spirit departed from him. I kept reading this. I kept sitting it back, and I kept reading this. I kept reading this. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. Because I'm not, uh, this isn't what I do. I don't stand before people and talk. Um, it's not my strength. Um, and I'm sitting there in back, and all these thoughts and scriptures are swirling around in my head. And I'm, I'm trying to grasp them and trying to put them in order, and I can't do it. I could not, for my life, I could not do it. And I kept telling Vesta, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. It's I'm like, I can't put two thoughts together. I, I don't know. And then, I don't want to make her head big. But when Vanessa started to sing uh -huh. that last song, uh -huh. it calmed me. Yes. Thank you, Lord. And it, it's funny being a parent when your children stand up and do something for God, it immediately brings tears to my, my eyes. It really does. Amen. To see your children worship, yes. to see your children acknowledge God, yes. to run their households, to be a parent, it moves me. And I said, I can't get up and talk about the heart of God and be afraid. That's like, this doesn't mix. And I'm just sitting back there. I'm like, that's going to pat me on the shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, God, I need you. God, I need you to, I need you to move right now. And then God provided me the ram and the bush when that started singing. And I just felt, I felt strength and I felt, I felt good. And, and that's what, I struggle with this chapter and I'm like, how can you have a child that loves the Lord, that's still willing to go and take a servant's position, take care of your sheep, don't ask any questions, sing praises unto God, and you leave him there. You leave him out there, you don't acknowledge him. There's something important going on in the house. I couldn't imagine throwing a party and one of my children are out, are out on the outskirts and I don't invite them in. I, I don't understand that. As, as many times as I read this scripture, I don't understand how David is on the outskirts. No matter what happened between Jesse and his wife should not have fallen on the child. And David, nothing came easy. 
He got anointed king, but he wasn't king. It's going to be, what, another 15 years at least before David is in the position to take the throne. And we'll see how his heart helps him. We'll see that he doesn't touch God's anointed. He doesn't kill God's anointed. God was on him when he got um, anointed from that day forward. And despite of no matter what we think about David, no matter what we read about David and all his sins and weaknesses and um, not taking care of his sons properly or whatever, he still had a heart of God. He still had the ability to throw himself down and repent yeah. and to throw himself, put on a sackcloth in the ashes, yes. yell out to God, sing his praises, and Saul sees all of it. Oh, I'm gonna talk a long time. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. Um, that was chapter 16. Um, I believe Pastor Joel will have chapter 17. I guess this Wednesday. I, I imagine he's still gonna have Bible study. If not, he'll send out a um, a message. But David, from this day forward from not being mentioned to be the forgotten is mentioned. Probably his name was mentioned more than any other name in the Bible. And I think including Jesus too. Because remember they called Jesus the, the son of David. Amen. So that might be, when I did my um, study the other night, that could be why his name came up so many times because they also referred to Jesus as son of David. But David appeared over like 1,085 times, almost 1,100 times from 1 Samuel on. 11, almost 1,100 times. So um, that's chapter 16. I hope you um, got something from it. Thank you for listening. If you would like to partner with us or make a donation, please visit our site at www.go2hopehaven.org. Our mission statement is to reach, evangelize, accept, and love. Your contribution will be a blessing to many in our local community, nationally, and even internationally. Again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more next week.